Welcome to Perspectives, a podcast by Essence Learning LLC, and a place where leaders learn from leaders. Let's join today's episode. Hello, my name is John Jacobs, and you're watching another episode of Essence Learning Perspective Podcast. We are so glad you're tuning in today, and we have some great uh, information and a great topic today. Today's topic and conversation is diversity in the workplace, millennials' perspective on racial and ethnic diversity. I have some awesome, awesome guests that I'm going to get to know and you're going to get to know today. I'm going to have them introduce themselves. I'm going to start with my right. Well, hi. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. So I am Katrina Williams Freeman. I have been in the health operation field for about 12 years. I'm responsible for improving health equity in communities, um, improving of health outcomes, lowering health costs, and of course, improving overall health services. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And I'm uh, Ruben Gonzalez. I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion professional. I've been in this space for a little over 10 years now, helping uh, my current organization to strive DEI as a role within um, our, our global strategy for improving diversity, equity, and inclusion at large. Awesome. You know, Ruben and Katrina, we're so glad that you are here. We're just going to have a conversation, so relax. We're just going to have, we're all professionals. This is a space that we're used <laughs> to talking about. So let's just have a good conversation. Is that all right? That sounds all right. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So um, you can introduce yourself. You guys got to know them a little bit about them. So let's talk about what is your opinion how uh, in regards to racial and social unrest over the last few years, there's been a lot going on 2020, uh, 2021, people that you thought were going to support you in this work, people that thought you were advocates with, they became silent in the room. Mm -hmm. So you started thinking about like, how do we have our banner of equity? How do we have our banner of diversity and inclusion? But then when we have events that happen in the social realm, how are we taking care of our employees? Um, I felt a lot of employers didn't know how to navigate that space. Um, They didn't know, like my political background is here, my social impact is here, my finances is here, what do I do to make sure that I show support, but I don't lose my partnerships? Wow. Wow. Yeah, I've definitely seen that in our global world. And I also seen kind of that idea of you're talking about that imposter syndrome that people are dealing with. Self-care and that conversation, that buzzword around. Uh, what can you ask the conversation regards to things that are happening in our world today? How does it impact the workplace? You know, I think the United States particularly is uniquely positioned that we've seen such drastic change, not always good, some bad. Um, but organizations are finally realizing and waking up and seeing this this reality of it used to be this work-life concept, right? There was work and then there was life. And the reality is that that's, that's not even a blend. It's even now with COVID and people working remote, right? Your work comes into your into your life so often. So when we see you know social unrest or racial injustice, mm-hmm. It's, it's natural that it becomes a conversation at work. And at large, organizations aren't even today prepared for that. And how do we move forward? And 
to, to your point there, that's where we see the anxiety, that's where we see the levels of stress heightened, that's where we see people hasting to try to impact policies or procedures or, you know, hire that one DEI professional, right? Because like, we got to fix this quick. And, and it's not an immediate sprint, right? This is yeah. a journey, so. Absolutely. They got to be in for the long game. They you know, got it. Um, this, this didn't happen, the, the issue didn't happen just by night. It was a process. It came along in the whole, in uh, time. You going to say something? Two small Please jump in. So, where he was talking about that balance between life and work. So, maybe 30, 40 years ago, you were able to be the professional from nine to five. Mm -hmm. You were, I guess, hopefully told to like leave your personal life at the door. Right. You clock into work and you're the professional that we're paying you for. Right. But, like you were saying, like now that the worlds are merging because now we have the social media impact, I can't just turn off the killings that just happened. I can't just turn off the social injustice that's happening. Because now I'm forced to still be that employee in the workplace. So something that maybe we could be mindful of is what is the mental trauma that my employees is going through? Right. And so that's just something that I was kind of like, he, he nailed it. Right, right. And I think before that we have to accept, you said they weren't ready to accept that the, there, there are blurred lines there. Like the lines don't, there's not a definite line anymore. They're bringing that personal life to the workplace. And so how do you respond to that? So we talked about it in general, how it impacts the workplace. It doesn't matter who it is, how racial injustice impacts uh, our workplace. But let's kind of go down the cone a little bit and let's be more specific. So how does that challenge impact people of color specifically? My turn. Yeah, it's on you. It's on you. So I will speak for myself if I can't speak for a population of people, but I'll mm -hmm. speak directly for myself. I struggle a lot with imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, I have a master's in public health community management. I have a master's in business administration, healthcare administration. But when I show up to the table, I'm still thinking, am I good enough? Right. Am I qualified? Yeah. If I speak, am I going to have impact? Am I here to be the tokenized person? Or am I here to drive impact? Wow. And that's something that I constantly struggle with daily. So whenever we started having social injustice conversations, I could not decide what my personal brand was. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in an environment where it was 3% um, black. The rest of the environment was white. Well, people of color 3% and the rest of the environment was um, white. So I constantly I felt like I was overly nice. So mm -hmm. I would say, thank you. Pardon me, excuse me, because I felt like I was in a white person's space. Like maybe mm -hmm. I did not have room to belong. Wow. And so now that I'm starting to step into my comfort zone and figure out who I am as a person, I'm taking up space. I'm making my voice heard, and I'm making people a little uncomfortable. I shake the table for a little mm -hmm. bit. But it took me a while to get here because for so long, I thought as a black woman, I shouldn't have a voice. Mm -hmm. So I've just been silent. Wow, I'm glad you got your voice. I found it. I'm glad you found it. I'm glad you found it and you're sharing that today. Ruben, uh, what is your perspective in regards to challenges specifically for people of color in the workplace and come from your, you can talk from your perspective as well? I might come more from a data analytics perspective. What mm -hmm. we've seen is organizations are having this conversation about the diversity makeup of their departments. Mm -hmm. And they're realizing there's shortcomings yeah. right? and how much work there needs to be to bring equity into the workplace. Mm -hmm. And I think for people of color at large, it's almost like we're taking two steps forward, but four steps back, mm -hmm. because we're realizing how much work seems to be done. And I see almost every day, if not I have a conversation with a coworker where it's almost like you're caught in the middle. It's like, 
So people are realizing the progress needs to be made. People are seeing the injustice. People are seeing the lack of commitment even mm-hmm. at times. And so where do I stand? And am I, am I now being tokenized as a person of color? Dare I take that position? And so there's this huge this anxiety in our workforce for everyone. Because it's like, what's that next step? I don't know, right? Now we have council culture. And can I be an ally? Or am I just finding friends to you know, try to mask the fact that I am not a diverse individual or that I don't, you know, I'm not a part of diverse community. So to say pretty, you know, to sum it up, if I could say, what does that look like today in the workplace and for people of color, it's anxiety. Right, right. There's a, there's a term that we've been coined, the adult anxiety is racial battle fatigue. Thanks for that. I'm tired. Yes, <laughs> just tired. Okay, I'm tired of being the first person you call to do the diversity program. Yeah. Have a conversation. <laughs> I'm not going to moderate. Everyone else needs to step I went to your black community event so from the black person. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not doing it. And I think that's important for people to realize that people of color are tired. It's been three years of just every month, every week, something happening. Um, and so, um, keep that in mind when you have people of color working in diversity offices and spaces that they might be going through a, a, a time of fatigue. You want to say something? Just to piggyback on what you were saying, like it's also the anxiety of do I speak up? Do I not speak up? Wow. Because now that I am maybe the tokenized individual, I want to see progress, but also. People like me don't normally have these kind of jobs. People right. like me are normally not in these kind of places. So should I be grateful that I'm sitting here? Should I be grateful that I have my benefits? Should I be grateful that I have income? Let me just sit quiet and allow my organization to hopefully push this work forward, but know that I'm an ally in the back. Wow. That's wow. the anxiety that exists. And I've seen both sides, unfortunately. The reality is that I've heard people say, well, aren't they grateful enough? Aren't people of color grateful enough? We're doing so much. Don't they see? And it's like we're nowhere near even getting close to where we need to be. And I've seen the other side where individuals want to step up and speak out. And it's and it, there's I'm telling you, it's it's almost like a ticking time bomb, and you see it, and there's just no way to stop it. And I would and, and what I ask individuals all the time is, well, what do you want to hear from an organization to 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 just level set and say, I, you know, I hear you. And it's, it's a simple fact that the organization realizes, we, we know, we understand, we see, right, where we are, what we're not doing, and this is what we are going to do. Here's our strategic plan. These wow. are our initiatives. These are our action-based next steps. Mm-hmm. But that's what organizations don't want to do, because they don't want to put their money where their mouth Because then they're, you know, they're on the hook for it, so to speak. People, they're, they're being held accountable. Because when you put a strategic plan and build values on the website, um, that, that's out there, right? Because we will cancel culture in a minute if you don't follow that little strategic plan. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to Twitter you, we're going to Instagram you, we're going to LinkedIn, we're going to tell our people from down the street. Yes. If we're not here to be played with anymore, so now organizations are like, we kind of want to support, but we're in the infant stages of support. So we haven't quite got mature enough to figure out what does it look like for us to support. It's a great word, maturity. And it's the maturity of the organization. Absolutely. And, and where they are at in time. And it's, it's, it's the maturity of leadership, uh-huh. actually. Uh-huh. Yes. Where they are. Yes. <laughs> yes. That yes. don't allow progress. Yes. Yes. So the question is, like, we know what the mirror looks like. We know what your portfolio looks like. We know what your brochures look like. Uh-huh. That is beautiful. But where your heavy work comes in is looking at that data, looking at yes. that cyber data data. That's right. 
every time I see one of those employers that say, best places to work 2021, best places to work <laughs> from 1998, and I'm like, that is great. But if you segregate that data, are you segregating it by age? Are you segregating it by race, income, all of that? Because if your dominant population in that workplace is 90% white, they're happy, they're excited to be there. But have you looked at your younger population? Have you looked at your older population? Because if you start breaking it down, you're going to pick out there's some raw apples there, and everybody's not excited to be there. How do we fix that gap? Absolutely. So you you heard it from Katrina. There's some tools right there. Be data informed and disaggregate your data by all kinds of variables and, and areas, race, gender, to get the real quantitative stories and qualitative stories of those, those people. And then we also mentioned something about um, really. Um, where is your level of accountability, right? Right. So know that if you put something online, know that you take a risk of being accountable, right? We want you to take accountable, but know that when it's out there, you have to get the accountable for the things you put out there. So we are now in the funnel. We're at the we're at the workplace. You know the challenges of, of people coming the workplace. Now let's go a little deeper into the challenges of millennials in the workplace. Okay. Okay. What are their challenges working in a workplace that has the most generations working in the workplace? Millennials are the most diverse population in the workplace as well. What are their challenges? That one is typical. Heavy, yeah. It's heavy. And it comes from both sides of the spectrum. You have your millennials in the workplace who feel like, I went to school, I know this, and I need this position, and I need to be making $150,000 because I'm me. No experience. Period. And then you have your older, maybe your more seasoned population that has the experience, they have the skills, mm -hmm. and they're like, who are you? Right. Just because you know how to use Twitter faster than you don't make you better than you. Right? <laughs> right. And I think that if we can take a step back and we can learn from each part of the generation, there's so much to give. Like, I don't know everything. My dad always told me that my dad, um, he doesn't have a college education. But he's worked his way up. He's always said, baby girl, you can have all the education in the world, but it will never trump your experience and it will never trump the lesson that you learned in life. Wow. So always be willing to listen, lean into your discomfort, and figure out like what can I learn from the next person. But because we have like this age-divided gap, we have millennials coming in trying to change process, move things around, and they're not honoring the work that's come before them. Wow. So if they're not honoring the work that's come before them, the people that's been in these positions for 30, 40 years, they're not going to want to show you the process. They're not going to want to show you what we've been doing mm -hmm. because you don't. You're not willing to learn. Wow. And that's like a heavy. That it was a heavy hit for me because I was once that young person and I came in yeah. and I was like, look, right. I went to school. Right. I'm qualified. <laughs> you need to listen. Right. And they were like, who are you? Mm -hmm. Who sent you? Mm -hmm. And it was a humbling season for me. Mm -hmm. I love that. The word you use is honor, right there. There was something there before you got there, and guess what? The business was running before you got there. Literally, <laughs> wanted everything. Right, it was a Fortune 500 country company. Stop playing, right? <laughs> so I think that honor is very important, uh, and that respect from both ends is really important. You want to add on to that? Yeah, maybe I'll just take the you know the, the opposite side of the coin there. I agree 100 percent with what you said, and I think we're we're organizations if we're thinking about the maturity of the organization, the maturity of leadership is. This false ideology that oh millennials are just going to get on board, right? They're just going to fold into the same processes, the same mm -hmm. procedures, and they're going to accept, right? And 
wake up, people. I'm here to tell you to wake up and wake up fast. <laughs> you know, millennials, and, and rightfully so, they're, they expect more. They've been not only just from what the organization has to offer, well, maybe it is all about what the organization has to offer, in their employee resource groups, in their policies and procedures. You know, you mentioned that they are the most diverse workforce. That should tell you something as an employer. Like, what is my, is my organization ready to start to think about a diverse workforce? Mm -hmm. Do we have a diverse workforce? Do we have policies and procedures that are inclusive, right, mm -hmm. of individuals wanting to bring their full, authentic self to work, right? Because people don't want to come and hide anymore. They won't come and hide anymore. Millennials won't. They'll come and bring their true, authentic selves. And I almost see this, this clip where we're getting near it, and we're not, I don't see organizations changing drastically enough to embrace, support, retain, promote millennials. It's almost like we're, we're masked by it, and we're like, if we just don't talk about it, they'll all go away. away. Yeah. Put, put some snacks in the break room, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Snacks. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute, Lola. I get a little hungry when I get mad, but... Absolutely. I, and I, you said something really powerful about masking, as if it's going to go away. You know, um, and that whole succession planning, preparing for the next, next, the next, the next, the next. And I think that there's a fear. There's a fear there that the next generation is going to come and it's going to... Well, everything's going to be wiped away, and the history's going to go on, and the business is going to go down, and all that. And I think that it comes with a level of trust that you have to build between all generations. As and I think that in between there is trust in, in to respect the, the perspectives of the five generations. Um, and so I think I think we really touched on. The, the different areas. I want to go a more specific, right? We're, we're, we're holding in here. On the cone. Yeah, yeah, let's put on the cone now. Now, the question I have here, I think this is a powerful question. Has white allyship been effective in promoting diverse talent and leadership? I'm going to stop right there. There's the next part, but I, that's a heavy thing right, right itself. Has white allyship been effective in promoting diverse talent and leadership? I know, you take a pause and think about that. Are you going to hit it first? You know, if you'll, I'm too round up for now. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll hit it first. So it starts off with how do you define being an ally? Mm -hmm. And that's the, I call it the buzzword. Because yeah. it's so easy to say, I'm an ally, I support you. But when I take it a, a step further, that means do I raise my hand and say, Katrina was talking. Does that mean I raise my hand and say that was Katrina's idea? Right. Because when we're in these meetings and a lot of people of color are not in these rooms, as an ally, are you standing up and saying, hey, this person was speaking, that person's idea is valuable, mm -hmm. they need to be heard and they need to be amplified and lifted up. Mm -hmm. But that takes courage. That's right. So now we have to define our levels of allyship. Because I don't need you to be my ally in private. Mm -hmm. I need you to be my ally in public. Mm -hmm. I need you to have wow. my back when I can't have my own back. Wow. Say loud. <laughs> that was powerful. And you said something about levels. I think we we were in the buzzword of allyship. It was this surface level of oh, I'm friends with you. That's what allyship was. Oh, I'm a friend of. I have a black friend. I have a whatever friend. But you mentioned something which is the word you use maturity. It's that next level. Next level is I'm taking away from me to support someone else because I have the power and privilege in that room to do that. Did you want to add to that? 
Well, it, it, I was going to say it's almost those areas. We have to define what allyship is, right? There are these, I think, tiers now because people have coined themselves an ally. But if I was going to, if you had, a, if I had to give you a has it or has it not, I would say it has it. Mm -hmm. I think we've seen attempts at, and we've seen people embrace the concept and the maybe dare I say glory of allyship. But I don't, I don't see people standing up when it's important. I don't see people making room. I don't see people giving others an opportunity to speak out. I, I don't. I really don't. So my next question here, the last, the pop so that second one, is it needed? Yes. Go any further, absolutely. Well, and if we think about positions of power, um, particularly white males are in positions of power. And we need it. Why? Because it's important to have those that are in positions of power in that conversation. Otherwise, we're, we're going to be running circles with our own, you know, amongst ourselves. So we need people in positions of power, and in this case, typically white males, almost always, to be brought into that conversation, to be brought into the allies. And it's the only way we can make true progress and, and really start to impact the systemic issues that exist in society, and by that means in the organization. So, yes, white people, we need you. We do. We do. We're on your team. We, 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 are, we, are, we are all on one team. And, and, and again, there's this anxiety of, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be an ally? And it's a never-ending conversation. Honestly, I think it goes back to training. Like you were saying, like these white men have been in their positions of power since the initiation of the company itself. And honestly, like it's not like we're saying like white uh, men that are in power are bad people, but we need you to elevate elevate your power to make sure that it's impacting and influence those who need you. Mm -hmm. So whenever um, you reach up to your position, who are you reaching up behind you to get you? And if you're not quite sure what does that look like in your job and your perspective, then that's when we need to start looking at what is our training and development plans. Are we making sure that we're having microaggression trains? Are we having bias trains? Are we having implicit bias trains? Like, because if I don't know how to help you, I'm going to continue not to help you. And that's when we need to figure out how do we lean into our own discomfort in order to move the next people up. I love that leaning into your own discomfort. Should be a slogan on its own. <laughs> it probably is somewhere. Katrina has already started our, our next question. So we're going to add on to it. And so basically she was talking about practices that companies can do to make room for millennials, make room for of people of color. So what can they do? What are other things? Can you start some few things? She said, um, the types of training, what else can they do to make room for millennials and people of color? Uh, oh, okay. Um, I will go back to my own life perspective is, um, I was in the environment of where I learned how to navigate the professional ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, my husband, unfortunately, he wasn't in that same environment. He's born and raised um, east side of San Antonio, absolutely loved the culture environment that he was in. But when it came time for him to navigate with his place of employment, it was hard for him to figure out, like, I'm really good at my job, but how do I communicate it? Mm -hmm. Where he didn't have those training and development programs in school, where I had those trainings, I learned how to communicate. I learned how to, I guess, act in that professional setting to get to me where I need to be. But um, he's been at his job for 15 years. He had to go through all of these hoops to become a general manager of the plant when his white counterparts would interview for the mm -hmm. position and they would get it on the first try. 
it took him not into his his fourth try until he finally got to where they were. But he had put in more time, more longevity. So I believe that if we really just start putting in these type of programs for our people of color, millennials, we want you to rise. We want to empower you. But we have to figure out, like, how do we help you navigate that professional ecosystem that nobody talks about because it's like a secret language. You know, like, I was fortunate enough to lean my ear in and hear it, but my mom is from Duck Hill, Mississippi. My dad is from El Campo, Texas. No one ever showed them how to navigate yeah. the professional ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, whenever we moved to Leak City, my dad made enough money just to get us into the zip code. So we were, that's why we were like a 3% um, people of color community. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like we were in the middle of the zip code. We were on the border of the zip code. So mm -hmm. we were barely hanging on. But my mom would call it like the white man's knowledge. Like she would want us to lean in close because we had to soak up the white man's knowledge of gold. And that's how I learned how to, I guess, code switch, color switch, depending on my environment. I can go rural country, or I can go, how are you doing? Thank you so much for being here. I'm glad to have you. But I was taught that where my husband, somebody had to teach him how to send a professional email, to have a professional communication, and how to just basically show himself as a professional without uh, higher education. So have those services to reach out. Well, the other podcast talk about mentorship, having that, that establishing your company for those folks that want millennials that want to move up and should see the desire to do that, have the interview that. Did you want to add anything? Oh gosh, where do I start? Right, so many. Um, I would start with be be data informed. So look at your succession your succession planning in those that you have in your succession plans. If you don't have any millennials or if you don't have any people of color. That should tell you something, right? Mm -hmm. So start to rethink your succession plans. That that fixes the immediate kind of promotion and long term. But if we're thinking about retaining and attracting millennials or people of color, it's about well, it's about the organization at large, right? What what do you stand for? What programs are you offering? Mm -hmm. um, and in development as well, right? I'll give you a maybe a small example, but very important example. Um, I had gotten a call from an individual who said, you know, I'm in, I'm, I'm in succession planning and I'm being mentored mm -hmm. um, and I'm excited, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the organization, but can I get a mentor that, and that, you know, a mentor that looks like me. So the gentleman was black and they hooked him up with a mentor, black in his early 30s, hooked him up with a mentor who was a white female who was in her 60s. And he just felt like, I don't, we're on two different worlds. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to navigate, right, this world of this corporate ladder. But if there isn't anybody that looks like me, if there's anybody that I can relate to, if, if, if someone can't meet me in the middle at least, then, you know, how, how do I progress? So that's where those programs, those mentorship opportunities, those suppliers that you have, because that was an external vendor helping us. Oh, wow. Um, are so important, and it always has to be looked at through this diversity lens. That's why it's so key. You know, it frustrates when people look at DEI work as a human resource function that it's a key to have or nice to have. <laughs> there is grit in that. You know, there is there is profound importance in that work because when that individual that we're trying to promote to that next level is wanting to leave because we hooked him up with a mentor who doesn't see not even IDI, but you know, and he's frustrated, or they're frustrated, or he's she or she's frustrated. That's our fault, mm -hmm. right? So, um, I, I don't even know how to answer the question. It's just there's just so much. Yeah. It's just about creating that inclusive culture that 
I think ultimately an individual can look to the organ and say, I see myself here. I see someone else like me progressing in the organization. I can see the path forward. If for nothing else, they can see someone else like them making progress. Mm -hmm. I want to add something. There's this whole concept about the great resignation. Um, what, what are your thoughts about the idea of the great resignation as it relates to the millennial generation? So, like you were saying earlier, we're tired. Like, we were tired of being polite, we're tired of being nice, we're tired of being taken advantage of. So, you know what? If you can't get with the program, let me take all of my skills and back up and go somewhere else. <laughs> That's basically like what it is. And diversity is only the step one. Like you haven't even really done any work yet, okay? So diversity is literally you invite somebody to the party. But inclusion is when, hey, I'm gonna play your jam. Absolutely. I'm gonna bring the food that you like to eat. Uh -huh. I'm gonna make sure that when you come to my party, you feel respected, that you feel at peace, that you feel like you can hang. Mm -hmm. But that makes people uncomfortable. So let me just stay in the realm of diversity and let me hire these little sprinkles over here, a little sprinkle over there, and we don't have a little diversity party. But don't you play that song they like? Don't you bring the music that they like? Because that's going to make it inclusive. And that's where people are having an issue of, but I I support diversity. I'm, I'm here for diversity. And that's why the millennials are like, okay, you know, we tried to say it nicely. We tried to engage you. But at the end of the day, you have to decide, do you want to do this work? Do you want to push for it? Or do you want to remain the same? We're in this digital transformation where you don't really have a choice of staying the same. Because if you have the choice of staying the same, you're going to run yourself out of business. And you don't have to worry about me running you out of business. You're going to wow. do the self harm wow. yourself. Wow. 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 Do you want to add something Maybe just to emphasize that, you know, and again, largely due to COVID, but we've advanced from a technological standpoint where we would be today. And by that means working from home and access to jobs. It used to be typically that if you worked in San Antonio, Texas, you took a job in San Antonio, Texas. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, someone can take a, a job across the world. And so if you're not willing to provide the environment, the resources, the benefits, you know, the, the opportunities that someone is looking for, they're going to find it somewhere else. And that's what we're seeing right now. So again, wake up. Well, we could go on and on and on. <laughs> I enjoyed this time with you all, and I hope that our listeners really walk away with something. You've heard it from some great experts in that in the diversity field, and also millennials. And so we appreciate your time today. Uh, if you want to know more information, go to essencelearning.net to hear more information about the resources and support. Please check it out. Uh, until again, until we meet you again. Check out for more ep for episodes, more podcasts coming to you. And we thank you and for this opportunity. Have a great day. Thank you for joining Perspectives, a podcast by Essence Learning LLC. Essence Learning is your solution to personal and professional development. We partner with our clients to develop a learning strategy that will increase productivity, enhance performance, and align with their purpose and goals. For more information visit us online at essencelearning.net or call us at 1-877-657-5755.